0: If we keep talking in ways where we feel as if we're lifted up and someone else is less than, we will miss so many other blessings that we're not even ready for, just because they don't meet some sort of standard of living that we're accustomed to. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying it's easy, okay? And I'm not saying like, it's just a flip of the light switch, easy to like, oh, okay, great. There's lots of different walls within those things to break down and get through. I get that, but you gotta be willing to really again see people like we've been talking about seeing every person as an image bearer of god because when we see every single person as an image bearer it means we're on the same level thank you for joining us on the orange wood church podcast make sure to follow us on facebook and instagram to stay up to date on our latest news and events Make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube for more content and to know when we are live. We hope today's message inspires you and leads you closer in your walk with God. Well, we, uh, we're on week four of the Starting Points series. Uh, next week, we'll wrap it up. Uh, but this week, uh, we're going to be talking about something a little bit harder, uh, maybe a little more uh, potentially frustrating to our own souls in a good way. Um, but we do uh, experience different aspects in life that leave us in awe, right? These moments where we're like, kind of left speechless. We don't know what to do with that anymore. And, and kind of cheeky to kind of start it off with, um, there was a series, I've talked about it before. It's one of my favorite television shows. Uh, you guys know it's uh, Cheers. Uh, ran from 1982 to 1993, good long run. Um, and on its last episode... The Nielsen ratings gave it that it was estimated that 93 million people watched that at the same time. Okay, to put that in perspective of that time in 1993, that was roughly 40% of the U.S. population. That was on par with the Super Bowl for a television show, right? There's reports out there that the New York City sewer system was having issues because... People were all going to the bathroom at the same time because in that day and time frame, like you couldn't pause TV, record TV. Like if you were gonna not miss anything, you had the two minute block of commercial time to take care of your business. And and so New York City was having issues, but that that episode, like people were, were watching it in the streets on TVs and windows. They they were in awe about this this show concluding. So weird to, to kinda think that, but it was. A little more serious, on November twenty second, nineteen sixty-three, the US watched in awe as the president at the time was assassinated on live TV. It brought in confusion and shock that created all this uncertainty for the nation for a while. It left us in awe. In nineteen eighty, the US hockey team for the Olympics put the world at awe. Cause in the first round of the Olympic uh, pool and the way the point system was this team of college students and the hockey team beat the amateurs from russia the professionals that took amateur status to play in the olympics and because of how the pool system works and the point system goes the college team of u.s hockey team took gold they weren't supposed to do anything it put everyone in awe Right, These moments, we, we have them, and some are more serious than others. Those are just kind of you know, tongue-in-cheekish, in a sense, examples, but we all kind of get the understanding of what it means to be put in awe, where we have a lack of words to define what we just saw or what we heard. The other part of that, too, is like if you've experienced something, how do you explain it to someone else who wasn't there? So in 1980, when this U.S. hockey team wins gold, okay, great, people win gold all the time. How do you explain that to someone who wasn't around in 1980, how great that was? How do you explain to someone who wasn't there in 1963 like how devastating that was to the country to see their president get assassinated? How weird is it to talk to uh, the, the Gen Zers about a show in 1993 that 93 million people watched that basically kind of put the country on hold for 30 minutes because you couldn't DVR it and record it or binge watch it. You had to watch it then and right then in that moment. You can't, it's hard to put these things into words. It's also hard to put things into words when you experience something that just challenges your complete framework and thought process. It's hard to put in words the feelings you have. And so we're going to take a look at a a story in Scripture, Luke chapter 4. We're going to read 14 through 29. This is the story of kind of loosely stated Jesus's first sermon. And and the spoiler alert here is he did so well, people wanted to kill him. So here we go. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. Now that's important because right before this passage, we read that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was anointed by his baptism, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Now he's in the wilderness. He's being tempted. He's going through that whole process for 40 days. Now he comes out of it, and he's returning to the power of the Spirit. And the news about him spreads throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So this wasn't anything new. This is stuff that Jesus did. He was teaching in the synagogues, plural. Man, He was going around doing this, and he was accepted at the time. So he goes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So his custom, regularly doing this. This is important key details in the story. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery for the sight for the blind." to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Um, kind of maybe the equivalent of like, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, then like mic drop, walk away, right? Like, so the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? Okay, so like he's telling him at this moment that he is the one that this prophecy is talking about. And people are okay with it. They're actually praising him. This is really great. This is really good. We, we like this. You're the, you're the one from Joseph. Like this is good stuff. Then it, then it changes. Jesus says to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy. In the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet none of them were, was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. Now, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the, the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way. It's pretty dramatic some of the things that we do know, we already talked about that he was in the desert. He was tempted. He came out of that. Now he's giving this message. And it started off well, and it didn't end so well, so much so that people wanted to kill him for what he had to say. Because he opened up the scroll and he read from Isaiah 61, one and two. See, what Jesus did was pretty bold. There weren't too many people out there going, hey, by the way, I'm the prophet. I'm the Messiah. I'm the ones you guys have been waiting for. Get ready to listen to what I have to say. And on his first account of saying that stuff, they want to kill him. It doesn't make for an easy life. And if if we remember back to the life of Jesus, his life wasn't all that easy from the very get go. From the time he reached about two years old, he was already a refugee. Living in a different land. He spent 40 days without food in the desert, being tempted and tested. And now on his first message, he's being ushered to a cliff to be thrown off and stoned to death. Okay. Let those moments sink in for a moment. Just think about those moments of what Jesus has been faced with by the time he's 30. Now, we sing songs that are great. We pray and we love praying to Jesus. We hear messages and we, we, we say on this, this loop in, our, in our, this whole little mantra of ourselves that we want to live like Jesus. The Savior that we love and pro- proclaim and the one that we follow has a very hard life. The life of following Jesus is not always sunshine and roses. It's a hard life. People will be mad at you. People will insult you. People will do things to you. There are modern day martyrs throughout the world today being put to death for the love of Jesus. I just want to make sure we really fully understand what we're saying when we say we want to follow Jesus and we want to live like Jesus. It means that our comforts and our our, our things that we call necessities aren't probably always going to be there. And is that going to be okay with us? Are we okay with the possibility that someone may
1: want to kill us one day for our faith?
0: I think it's a good thing for us to think through to understand maybe why the church struggles with the world and the world struggles with the church. See, God has been doing great things. God has always been doing great things even in the life of Jesus, even at the point of creation, right? God created, God gave purpose, God has given nourishment to all his creation, God has given us the ability to discover, God is in a continual state of lavishing so much love on his image bearers, which is every human being created on this earth. And then the church comes in and we twist things up a little bit, not necessarily on purpose, but we just... We like systems, we like things in place. And so we create these boxes, we create things for people to have to check into in order to the possibility to maybe fit into some sort of unattainable goal of what Christianity might be. And at the same time, we sit back and say, like Jesus, we want to see we want to be put in awe by you. We want to see you do great things, but yet we start putting, we try putting God in a box and we confine God to a certain thing, certain amounts of characteristics and saying God can only work in this. And that's so like, not even close to biblical truth. I think sometimes we get wrapped up in what we think is so great that we're sometimes unaware that we're, blocking maybe some goodness that could be happening. And so if we want to see these awe moments of God and take a step back maybe from ourselves and say, okay, I have wanted people to do this and to understand it this way, but maybe what are they learning? How do they see God? And does that match up with Scripture first?
1: one of the things that's in this passage that I find so
0: great to read is that Jesus spoke truth straight from scripture. And he spoke it in a way, not in the, the he just says it as it is kind of a truth that we, you know, this guy speaks the truth. He says it as it is, and we're gonna follow that guy, the, the political rub it in your face truth. That's not the truth that we're talking about. He didn't speak it in a way of like, this is your best friend who needs to hear the truth because they're really just in a bad relationship and they just need to hear this because it's really gonna do good for their soul kind of truth. That's not the truth that we're talking about either. This is the capital T truth. The truth of God that is spoken in a way that leads to the path of freedom. The capital T truth does set people off it does make people angry because the capital T truth is a stumbling block. See, the people in the synagogue were faced with some really hard issues in that moment because we know, we might know that when we're faced with a way of thinking that is different than ours, our reactions tend to give the understanding of where we are. Meaning that if we hear something that is right, we don't agree with and we act negatively and outburst towards it, it means that we've got some work to do on the inside. we're, We're not always seeing things the way we probably should. And in his hometown where he grew up, Jesus did not give him any reason to misunderstand him. He spoke very plainly. He didn't pander. He didn't try to convince them. He didn't try to appease them. He just spoke Scripture. This is what the prophecy says. Just so you know, it's been fulfilled now. And he sat down. That's all he
1: did. Then he followed it up with, just so you know. And then they got angry with him.
0: See, it's important for us to know how to speak scripture. I've said it before, I'll say it again, that our, our culture is well beyond the stand on the the corner with a sign saying, Jesus loves you, follow him. Like we're beyond that. We don't even pay attention to those people. So does it mean that we just need to memorize scripture and just speak it in all sorts of situations? Not necessarily true either. We do need to know scripture. We need to know what it says so that we can discern when to say it. We can discern and know in the situation of what needs to be said and how it needs to be said. Jesus was purposeful about how and when he spoke scripture. He just was. And it's not because he was some great, incredible speaker and salesman going town to town. The scripture said in this passage that he traveled to different synagogues. It was his custom. He spent his life reading, knowing, studying. Part of what they did in synagogues is they they would ask questions about what the scriptures meant. They would talk about it with one another. They spent time. Jesus spent time knowing this stuff. It was impressed on his heart. It was his language. Now think of that for a moment. The scripture was his language, which meant that the things that were in his heart came out of his mouth. So in the past week, were you more inclined to speak scripture or were you more inclined To speak about your feelings about how you want to wring the necks of all the Cardinals players for blowing an incredible opportunity in a playoff game. Right? Like, it's real easy for us to grab onto other things in Scripture sometimes. And it's easy because we don't always prioritize it, it's easy because we still have to make it a heart language. So why, does, why do the Jewish people get so mad at Jesus? In 23 through 27, Jesus takes them on a journey that they would probably start of asking him questions for, but Jesus just got ahead of them. It's because you see, when I said that they would spend time in the synagogues asking questions, debating what's going on, figuring out what scripture meant. So before they had a chance to ask him to prove himself as a prophet, or the one that the prophecy is being fulfilled, he just starts telling them. <laughs> I'm going to go back and I read it because when I was reading through some commentaries, it's like, oh, this is kind of how he's saying it. So he says to them, before they have a chance to ask questions, you're going to quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here now in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. So the questions that he's anticipating them asking are, well, if you're who this person is and is being fulfilled prove it. Show us the sign. Tell us and show us, and let they match up. And essentially what he says to them is, I'm not going to do that, and I don't have to. Before they have a chance to ask questions, he says, this is what you're going to expect of me, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to do it for you. Here's why. And he gives them two prophets from the Old Testament, two prophets that are are like almost pillars when you read through the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. And in both of those stories, the people that they interacted with were not Israelites, they were Gentiles. Who were Gentiles, you might ask? They weren't Jewish people. So if you were a Jewish person, you you weren't a Gentile. If you're a Gentile, you weren't Jewish. Those are the two options. What he was telling them was that even before they realized it and probably understood, or even though they probably did understand it, but they weren't seeing it right then and there, was that God was at work saving all of humanity from the very beginning of things. Yes, he chose the Jewish people, the Israelites, to be his chosen people, but he was working through and saving everybody. His salvation, his grace was for everybody. And in the two big instances that he chose three and a half years of famine where Israel was suffering because their hearts were hardened. God chose his
1: prophet to go to a Gentile. Like that's what he's saying.
0: And they're mad. Because they feel like God, they're saying that God's ignoring them then. Like they're mad because why wouldn't the prophet work here and now? Why wouldn't the prophet why wouldn't the prophecy be fulfilled so we can see it? Why, you're saying it's you, so why can't you show it to us? Well, he's saying your hearts are hard. You're unwilling to see. And yeah, it's in his hometown of Nazareth, but it's also God's own people are unwilling to see the goodness of what God's gonna do.
1: God wasn't ignoring them, but they were ignoring their history and their reality of what God has already been doing.
0: And they're mad because they don't get it. They're mad because they feel as if the goodness of God, they're missing out on it and it's going to someone else, which in reality, it's been going to everyone the whole time. They just need to soften their hearts. And here's where it is like for us as a church, like for uh, to understand like maybe the reality of like the reactionary point of the Jewish people here, is that for the Jewish people in that time in the synagogues, what we would call now today the church, in hearing this news about who Jesus is, rather than saying, This is awesome, I'm so glad you're gonna go do miracles and go do some great things out there. How do we help you? How do we how do we get behind you in this? The church at that time says. This is unheard of. We're not going to have it. We're going to take you out to the hill and we're going to kill you. The church. The church on Jesus' first message was attempting to kill Jesus. Not the unbelievers, not the Gentiles, not the people who didn't, had no idea. The church was attempting to kill Jesus. how often in our own righteousness, in our own ways of thinking, do we kill the blessings of Jesus?
1: Because we just have it all figured out.
0: When we started this uh, series and we picked up on what Stephen said in the last days of the 12 days of Christmas, was that when Jesus was teaching in the temple the first time, he was 12 years old. And the people were amazed then. The 12-year-old shouldn't have been teaching in the temple because you didn't get picked up by a rabbi until you were 13 years old to learn. Here he was at 12 years old teaching. The blessing of God is being seen by a 12-year-old. The blessings of God are going to be seen by people all over this world in all sorts of different economic situations. I get concerned, church, I really do, because we use a term, and it's, I've used it myself, don't get don't me wrong, and I'm, trying, I'm, I'm working on like trying to figure out my language and make, make, not be this way. But we keep using this term of those people as if there's this, whatever group we're talking about is subpar to us. It doesn't matter what that group of people is. The, those people is always a negative way. As if for some reason, because we have salvation now, like we now are elevated to some other stance. No, my goodness, no. If we keep talking in ways where we feel as if we're lifted up and someone else is less than, we will miss so many other blessings that we're not even ready for. just because they don't meet some sort of standard of living that we're accustomed to. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying it's easy, okay? And I'm not saying like it's just a flip of the light switch, easy to like, oh, okay, great. There's lots of different walls within those things to break down and get through. I get that. But you gotta be willing to really, again, see people like we've been talking about, seeing every person as an image bearer of God. Because when we see every single person as an image bearer, it means we're on the same level. As I was reading through this week, I came across this quote, and I it you know, it's kind of hard as a pastor to read, but I'm gonna read it anyway, because then I'm gonna change it and make it relevant for all of us. Because I want I want you all to be a part of this, not just me. So a professor at St. Andrew said this. You cannot convince people at the same time that you are a great preacher and Christ is a great Savior. You have to pick which one you want. It's either about Jesus or it's about you. So, a little heavy for the pastor to say, right? But how do we do that for the church? Ready? You cannot convince people at the same time that you're a great Christian and Christ is a great Savior. You have to pick which one you want. So my little poking and prodding here, right? We're going to have a little fun this morning. I asked a few weeks ago when we talked about baptism, how many of you guys were baptized? And by and large, almost everyone in this room at the time raised their hands. Awesome. It's great. It's also kind of concerning. Where are the rest of the
1: people? If we have this great life, that's where we're planting our flag,
0: saying this is who I follow. Where are the rest of the people? Where are the new ones that we need to be baptizing? Where are they? Are we done? Is it over for us? Are, are you waiting for me to give you some great charge to go out there and preach the gospel to the world? Because you don't need my permission to do it. What happened? It's not like we don't see people anymore. We've, we've gotten back out into society, we're back out at jobs, we're back shopping again, we're, we're interacting with people when we drop our cars off at places. It's like, what, what what are we doing? Are we listening more? Are we able to interject and, and speak? that capital T truth in a humble way to say like, yeah, I've been there and this is how I found peace. This is how I found my hope. To be a follower of Jesus is a life of humility. It is, it's a life of knowing truth and when to speak that truth and how to speak that truth. It's a life of expecting to see Jesus in every image bearer that you you see. It's a life of seeing <laughs> Awe-struck in moments, and not just going out and seeing it, but expecting to see them. But it's a life of, of great challenge. Paul, the disciples, their lives were not made easy by following Jesus. They faced imprisonment, horrible deaths, cast out, homelessness, wandering through, and they do it because it was some guy? No, they did it because it was God.
1: They did it all because of God. It's as simple as that.
0: The life following Jesus challenges our own thought process and our comforts. And there's moments when we follow Jesus, no matter what we're in our faith, well, we're going to get a little upset, like I don't like having to live that way. I don't want to do that, and that's just very telling that Jesus has some more work to do on our hearts.
1: And that's OK. But be honest with your struggles.
0: And move through them. So in a moment, we're going to pray. But I want to add to your, uh, the phrase from last week. Do you guys remember the phrase from last week? To go out and be the most significant, insignificant person that you can be? Well, add to that. As long as, as well as being the most significant, insignificant person. Be a person that walks in deep humility. So I want to pray for our hearts to be softened. I want us to pray for our hearts to be open to not just new opportunities, but just opportunity. To be aware that we, we planted our flag in the ground through salvation and baptism, that we are going to follow Jesus. And if that means it's going to hurt, that means it's going to hurt. Because I've been through different parts of this city, and I can tell you, there's no one place that is all 100% all in for Jesus. There's work. When we looked at uh, properties, one of the comments that we worked through was, well, there's like, there's a lot of churches in this area. Well, great, but there's still work to be done. We can put another one there, it's okay. Because it's not about the building, it's about what we're gonna do in the city. It's about what you're gonna do in your home, it's about what you're gonna do in your neighborhood, it's about what you're gonna do when you, everywhere you go. question really is, are, are you willing to be softened to the point where Jesus is going to be who Jesus needs to be in your life? And it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be hard. People are going to get mad at you. Some people are going to leave you, ignore you, shun you. But others are going to love you for what you've done and your humility. Others are going to love Jesus for the humility and it's going to be worth it. Father, right now, we, uh, we come to you in a heart of maybe just repentance in a sense right now where we say sorry for maybe saying we have some things figured out or maybe that we've made the comment of it's someone else's turn or we're just now just waiting for your return rather than doing the work that we're called to do. May our hearts not be so hardened and so set in ways that when we hear your truth, we react so negatively that we want to kill your blessing. May we be a people that are are open and willing to hear your truth, from image bearers that we weren't expecting to hear it from. And may we never look at people as those people. But may we look at people as those image bearers. And maybe be willing to face death and count it joy not because you're some guy on this earth that claimed to be God, but because you are God. So God, right now, I pray for those in this room that have had those moments where they they realize that they have been hardened. I pray right now that they're praying for that repentance, that you hear them and, and you forgive them. I pray for a springboard of action from this church that we not just wait for a ministry to start, but we start ministry. That we start working in the calling that you've called us to be a part of. Jesus, you are alive and active in this world. You are here right now. Hear our prayers. Heal our hearts. And continue guiding and directing us in the way you want us to go. We pray these things in your name. Amen.